Hello and welcome to the next episode of DDR, a podcast all about your favorite drow, Drizzt Doerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we will be diving deep into chapter 12 of Homeland, titled This Enemy, They, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. We're so happy you guys came to join us on another journey into the Underdark. For those of you watching on YouTube, you might have noticed I've cleaned the camera a little bit. So hello. It's, you're crystal clear today, Jeffrey. Right? <laughs> HDTV, just wanted to cut into your living room at home or whatever you're watching this on. Maybe on the mobile, so I'm still a tiny little guy in the corner. Hello. <laughs> but once we delve down deep into enough, we're going to go ahead and take a look at how this chapter relates to the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop game that me and Justin love so much. Remember, as a reminder, it is the 5e edition that we try to keep the rules to because that's what we know. That's what we know. But, you know, like if you play any version of the game, I'm sure you can, you know, uh, the things we talk about would be applicable and interesting in some way. Uh, but by now, I'm sure you guys figured out that following along with the show is really easy. All you have to do is pick up your copy of the book, read the next chapter, and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts too. So you can reach out to us via email at drizdunright at gmail.com. Remember, we also have the other social media sites available online. We have the Facebook, we have the Instagram, both of them at Driz Done Right. But if the books don't seem to be enough for you, you can always be part of that ongoing discussion that we have on our very own Driz Done Right Discord. Remember, the Discord invitation link is always in the podcast description, probably somewhere down around the bottom there. Right there. <laughs> so come on in and be a member of our Dim Light Squad. We always like to, you know, dim light a few contributions here and there as we go. And today, some of our newest members are Lathia, Vader is my father, and Ra. So we wanted to give a big welcome to the Underdark. Welcome to our Dim Light Squad. Welcome, guys and gals. We have a bunch of, we have a bunch of different rooms besides the general chat. Uh, Ramses was in the fan art section wondering about this actual size of Guinevere. And Justin, I, I know you were checking out the conversation. That really kind of actually blew my mind because I never really considered the actual physics of the size of Guinevere compared to Drizzt as well. Right. Well, they, they had that one picture of Guinevar and, um, or was that, no, that wasn't actually Guinevar. That was like a, a Liger or something. It was a, a the real life photo. Yes. The real life photo, but it was like some enormous cat. And they're just like, I, I always yep. thought of Guinevar as being around this big. And there was like a Chihuahua underneath it. It was like, it looked like the size of a mouse. <laughs> oh no. The Chihuahua was on the statue. Oh, I was that a statue? Right? Right. Yep. Well, I yeah, thought it was a bookend statue when we first saw it, like, you know, a small miniature. Oh, okay. And then somebody was they're pointing it out. They're like, I don't know if you noticed the scale for the Chihuahua. I was like, right. It's like, I that's a not. dog. <laughs> right. Now, Chihuahuas but are small. <laughs> the Liger picture, you're, you're pretty close, I think, because I was yeah. looking at the actual, I don't know, science of it, per se. And it turns out that an African male lion usually runs. What is this? Let me see. Up to about. 8.3 feet in length and up to 570 pounds. So going on a description of Guinevere being about a 600 pound panther and 10 feet in length, she's larger than what you would see as a, like a full grown Mufasa, but in real life. That's terrifying to yeah. know that there are cats that big walking around on earth. Luckily, I'm well, on the opposite uh, side of the an, earth. But... <laughs> oh, yeah. Say, but with a with an astral plane connection, you know, Guinevere, she's 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 not right. too harmful. Yeah, to but nice drows. <laughs> now I didn't have a chance to jump in on the conversation there, but I always thought that Guinevere wasn't quite that big, just because, you know, like drow in general are typically smaller, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then I know one of the first books, this is, I guess, the second book I got that was already self, um, the Crystal Shard book. And it's all blurry here, but you can see a picture of Drizzt and Guinevar coming out of his Onyx figurine. And thinking about Drizzt as being a drow, not tall, like what, like five and a half, well, five and a half feet or so? You're close. He's on the taller spectrum of the drow. They in the the D and D book breaks him out to be up to about five five in height. Okay. Drizzt is described as five four, so he's taller for a drow, but not okay as tall as you would think for like humanoid. Yeah. So comparing his size in this picture, anyway, in this artwork, um, the artwork on the front of the Crystal Shard book, um, you know, Guinevere doesn't look like he's six hundred pounds in this <clears throat> picture, but. Um, yeah, you know, and we didn't really get to the very bulky either. Well, you think when at five four, he would still be very uh, thin and slight in yeah. nature, oh. and uh, Guinevar would be just massive in comparison. Looking we, at him, and we've also we've had a lot of conversation about Guinevar in this podcast and on the Discord and everything, but we haven't actually even seen Guinevar. We heard Guinevar being referenced one time in the book so far, right? At least once. Yeah, I think so. So, like, because we know the Onyx figurine, and we brought that up, and uh, right, but we haven't really gotten to her part in the book. It's, I guess, right. it's a an ode to the fact that she is such an impactful character yeah. I'm to v- this series. I am All very right. excited to World. see that first uh, encounter between Drizzt and Guinevere. It's been a Man. long time since I've read this book, so I'm excited to get to that point again. I agree. I agree. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, what's new, Jeffrey? Not a whole lot, man. Just kind of, uh, you know, enjoying the weather as it goes up and down in these crazy spikes. You know, it's yeah. going to be winter one day, <laughs> not winter, I guess, unless you're in California. But uh, it's been right. spring. Then it's been fall and spring. A little summer. Ooh, back yeah, to fall. Yeah. A little back and forth. It's been it's been refreshing. I just wish we had a, a nice day on a Saturday. You know, it's kind of rainy a little bit today, cloudy at least. And um, really got to get outside and start doing some yard work here. But can't do it just yet. <laughs> but. I mean, oh, we had a couple of nice days when I was doing working at the farm and uh, doing, you know, like helping deliver some vegetables and such. Nice. And uh, it's always nice when it's a nice sunny day. I think we hit one that was like sixty degrees before yeah. it turned back down to like the thirty the yep. next day. Yep. Yeah. I got to roll the windows down, let the tunes out a little bit, and kind of enjoy it. You know, <laughs> I let my hair down, but it's kind of leaving me at a rapid pace. Hanging out a bit. You're looking better than I am as far as your hair is concerned. <laughs> you have, sir, for those who are looking on YouTube, you have quite a, a, a distinguished buzz cut to the top. Uh, well, well, you know, I'll let them lie to you. That, that's about all they see. They don't see what's going on in the back, and we'll we'll keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, my headphones are strategically placed. <laughs> uh, no, um we, uh, Sarah and I took the kids to uh, Hibachi for the first time, their first time last night. Oh my word, that was so much fun. Um, we had, oh, yeah, I saw the message in the uh, the family chat. You were, yeah, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, French fries. we didn't take many, many pictures, but yeah, Christopher got a uh, Christopher just got French fries because he's <laughs> super picky, he's he's not gonna eat anything that the guy makes, so but, um. Oh man, they had so much fun with the the fireballs and everything. I was say, and, it's got to be so much fun for them as a visual art yeah, that Hibachi yeah. is. I mean, there were a couple times Christopher cowered underneath the table because <laughs> he was scared, but but they did pretty good. We were we were sitting with another family that had two young kids, so we were having a good time. Nice. But, 
Nice. It's, it is, hibachi is one of those things that's, uh, I think, a little underplayed in the fact that it's, it's really almost like a performance art every time oh, yeah. you go out. You oh, go man. to you know, a place that does it right instead of just cooking because the guys, the guys that, you know, they roll the eggs around, they do the fire you know, yep. the volcano with the onions. You yep. got to have that. And it's about the flair and the panache as yep. much as it is about the, you know, the delicious food. Yeah. And it was delicious. Oh, my goodness. I got steak. I haven't had steak in a while. Anyway, all right, Jeffrey, we have a show to to talk about here. This is episode 12. Let's go ahead and get this started with, oh, not the Drizzt. Yep. We're starting mm-hmm. We're starting with the Insight Check. An Insight Check is where we're going to investigate the inner monologue of Drizzt. These come along every once in a while, and uh, we really like to just kind of poke uh, directly at them, highlight them a little bit, or dim light them a little bit. So the Academy, it is the propagation of the lies that that bind drow society together. The ultimate perpetration of falsehoods repeated so many times that they ring true against any contrary evidence. The lessons young drow are taught of truth and justice are so blatantly refuted by everyday life and wicked Menzo Berenson that it is hard to understand how any of them could believe them. Still, they do. This first part is, to me, it almost sounds like the survivor of a cult, like making their way back to society and finding out that the holes in their upbringing were so obvious. But, I mean, they were too naive to know where to look in order to, like, you know, poke holes in that logic. You know, as you're growing up, you're very naive to the fact that, you know, like the authoritarian figures might be wrong. Mm -hmm. They can't be wrong. They're authoritarian figures. I thought that was that was kind of crazy there. Looking back allows them a new perspective on their indoctrination and how it was used against them. Driz recognizes that even decades removed from the academy, he is still frightened of the academy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not because of the, the physical horrors or the mental horrors even that he went through. He's frightened because of those who survive. Uh, they, they revel within the evil fabrications that shape their world. That's it's kind of haunting. Yeah. They live with the belief that anything is acceptable if you can get away with it. The self-gratification is the most important aspect of existence. And the power comes only to she or he who is strong enough or cunning enough to snatch it from the falling hands of those who no longer deserve it. Compassion has no place in Menzo Berenson, yet it is compassion, not fear, that brings harmony to most races. It is harmony working towards shared goals that precedes greatness. I really, really like that part because he notices like the greatest void that he sees within the drow is also their biggest redeeming quality that you find in, in other cultures and races that are destined for greatness is kind of how he sees it. Like the, the drow are so shaped and, and, and warped, you know, misshapen and warped by their cultural approach that they feed on everything negative about other cultures. Right. Driz understands now that the pillars of Loth lead to the subjugation of his people, not the exaltation. He ponders how he was able to survive the Academy and use its teachings to reinforce what he cherishes instead of allowing them to destroy it. It, it must have been Zagnafane, his teacher, his trainer, his mentor, his father, was able to somehow like impart a piece of himself through the lessons that he taught Drizzt. In a way, it allowed Drizzt to hear the screams of the protest against murderous treachery. 
the screams of rage from the leaders of the drow society, the high priestesses of the spider queen, echoing down the paths of his mind, ever to hold a place within his mind, the screams of dying children. Mm. Drizzt in this moment is a reflection of Zagnafe. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice insight check, Jeffrey. Very nice insight check. Thank you. I try to roll high. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to top that next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead. I don't. Yeah, let's go ahead and yeah. jump it right into the Drizzed. The Drizzed is the part of the show where we take a look at this week's chapter and we give you the Drizzed of it. As I point at my computer screen rather than my camera. No, when you uh, ran that back, I was actually just playing with the camera and pointed like several seconds before you. So it actually looks like I jumped the gun, Mike. (laughs) All right. what happens when you have a visual medium. (laughs) Yeah, if you're not watching us, what are you guys doing? I mean, you know, maybe you're driving. In that case, (laughs) it might be listening at their commute to work. Maybe they went to the gym. If you're driving, don't watch us. Just listen. That's fine. Unless you have those screens on the back of the SUV panels, right? Because then you can just pull over, pop in the back, <laughs> check it out. But no active driving while watching. It is discouraged. We'd like you to stay alive to catch the next episodes that we have. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right, so here we are, Chapter 12. Chapter 12 starts off with Drizzt making his way up a wide stone stairway leading toward the academy. At the top of those stairs are three structures the first one, Sorcerer, the School of Wizardry. Um, Drizzt is going to spend six months there in the beginning of his 10th year. I believe the 10th year is his last year. Uh, so the first yes. six months of his last year will be at Sorcerer. And then there's Arachtinolith, which is the School of Lolth. I guess sort of like the religious school. Uh, Drizzt will be housed there his last six months of his 10th year. So... <clears throat> Where will Drizzt be going for the first nine years? The pyramid-shaped school, that pyramid-shaped building over there, that uh, is known as Mele Magthir, or Magathir, or Magthir. That's how I'll go about pronouncing it. (laughs) So I assume Drizzt is making... Once you swing and hit the ball, run, buddy, run, go, go. (laughs) Uh, It's all about uh, confidence, right? (laughs) So I assume that Drizzt is making his way up these stairs with a bunch of other initiates. It doesn't say like uh, specifically if that's happening, but I assume that that's what happens because at some point he realizes that of his companions, some of them are other nobles. And he kind of, for a brief moment, is just like, well, I wonder how my skills are going to compare to theirs. Like, did they have the same kind of training that I had? And... Um, you know, he, he's kind of wondering, um, probably similar to anyone going into a new school or a new job. It's just like, this is me. These are my colleagues. I wonder where I fall amongst everyone, you know, like mm-hmm. I can't help, but that's exactly how I was starting my new job. I'm going in and I'm just like, man, these are all like people that were in the Navy, people that were like nuclear engineers and here i am like i was a teacher (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm the guy with two thumbs (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah and i think that that's uh it's one of the things that you can always relate to like there's those fun parts when you come through these books looking at the the humanity of it the human nature whatever the how it relates to 
us where we can find ourselves within the characters. But uh, I mean, I always picture it kind of like uh, most fantasy mm-hmm. setups is kind of like uh, if you play Diablo series, you get those uh, sweeping steps in the uh astral plane when you go towards the where the angels are from in it uh-huh. and i always think of that like those grand staircases so as he walks up here i kind of imagine it like you know the the seventh family's over there with little timmy and he's you know hey i'm gonna make you guys proud step 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 and then you have you know the uh the, the 62nd family you know they're they're hugging and saying goodbye to their 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 mm-hmm. drowkin over there and you know he's just kind of walking his way up past all that you know in his mind like getting everything locked in like yeah. you know ready to go because he's been trained to be a heat seeking missile from day one like right. there's no you know last minute goodbyes hey mom thanks for it. let me give you a hug before we go so i kind of imagine a little bit of both of that as yeah he's walking up this you know grand staircase of sorts past people yeah and just kind of focus solely on his mission ahead of him yeah yeah and we, we didn't see any kind of goodbye with his mom or anything like that i mean it could it could have happened before this but well, um, Matron's goodbye was having him stab uh, Byuk Yuk. Yeah. Oh, man. Poor Byuk Yuk. He's like, all right, Sonny, you killed Byuk <laughs> Yuk. You have a great day. Great trial warrior. You're yeah, you. See, see you in 10 years. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. She might not be there waiting for him when he gets out. You know, right. he might have to walk all the way home. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, on his way up, a fellow drow initiate named Kelnaz of House Kenafin. 15th house of Menzo Baranzan, introduces himself to Drizzt. Drizzt responds in kind, adding on his house's surname. So he introduces himself as Drizdoerden of Derman Naash's Bernin, House Dewerden, 9th so house of Menzo So glad you had the Drizzt this week. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't bring that up at all in this podcast yet. Here we are in mm-hmm. episode 12, and neither of us attempted to pronounce Dermon Naash's Bernin. I've practiced it so much. <laughs> I bet you our house nobles can pronounce it. And here we are just, I'm, I'm, I'm just actively running from that word. Like that. What is that? <laughs> Dermon Naash's Bernin? Yeah, you That's nailed it. I, with, I, I yeah. would say you nailed it. <laughs> so, just hit it and run. So um, he, he uh, Drist whips that out. And, you know, that's kind of like just he's showing that he's a notch above mm-hmm. um, what's his name? Kelnaz here. And uh, so do you think he's actively showing him that or do you think he's just uh, from Drist's point of view saying this is my formal name? Well, I, I think that was actually mentioned in the chapter. Um, he was trained to introduce himself that way. OK, so, so I think it is a it's a. um his it's coming from his mother just like hey don't embarrass our house this is how you how you introduce yourself we are kind of nobles amongst all the other houses we are we're a high enough house we're within the top 10 right Um, so it's the same as like you know don't eat your salad with that shrimp fork because that's going to embarrass us yeah and i might have to kill you yeah they're a little bit more extreme than just yeah you know the tutor (laughs) society I so, get you. I yeah, get you. so I think that's where it's coming from more so because then uh, Kelnaz recognizes that um, he is in the presence of nobility and drops to a low bow and and uh, Drizzt is just kind of like, oh, this is nice. You know, um, his head just gets a little bigger there. Um, so he, he does prefer being treated this way to how he's usually treated by his family. So I, I think now, and this is kind of why I think 
his mom trained him to introduce himself that way, but now he's recognizing why. It's like, oh, people treat you differently if you do this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that is part of you think about it, like, here's a reward to the trappings of that society, you know, go peacock yourself and others will bow and show attention. Like, you know, when Dinan is like attacking the bugbears in chapter one, they're not moving fast enough. You think maybe this is like an echo of that training where it's like, look, I am of house. Let me hit this again. (laughs) Dermen Naashas Bernan. Yeah. (laughs) You should move faster. (laughs) Yeah. So... They made their way into Melee Magdir. Um, you know, Driz did catch a, a glimpse of his brother Dinan uh, from far away, but he's he was trained. He was basically told by his brother, like, "Do not, do not acknowledge me. That's that's not going to end well if you do that. So, do not acknowledge me." But he he does see him from a distance um, before he makes his way in. But they make their way in, and then there are. The initiates are all being herded into a large oval room. Here, they were greeted by a master, uh, Hatchnet, the master of lore. His job basically sounds like it's to shape the Play-Doh-textured minds of all the male drow into these hateful killing machines. Um, Yes. I had to stop there in the video and give you a thumbs up because I didn't go through your entire Drizzt, so a little behind-the-scenes action for the people at home. I didn't know that was coming, and that is exactly how yeah. i see master hatch now. he's just I, I, m- I love it the mush- yeah just like mushing they- their their heads and melding them in the way that mm-hmm. he wants that that that, he, that they should be in a drow yeah. society so he starts off with a brief history lesson describing how the drow used to be service dwellers it was horrible there was a bright ball of fire that ruled the day and at night, there were small tiny reminders of the light during the day all strewn about the night sky stars right sometimes there was even a larger uh light in the sky at night of course he was referring to the moon i thought he meant like shooting stars i was like wait a minute how do they have such an offhand knowledge of shooting stars (laughs) yep nailed it (laughs) the moon uh he went on to describe how the drow used to walk beside surface elves it's like we thought the fairies are friends we called them kin but eventually they came there came a day when the fairies drove the drow into the depths of the earth, and that is where they found their goddess, Lolth. And all throughout this speech that he's having, there are a number of initiates that are shouting out an acknowledgement, even reverence to what Hatchnet has to say. Uh, Hatchnet decides uh, that it's best to allow this speaking out of turn rather than punish them uh, for this offense. Because, uh, you know, it's just kind of... It's acknowledging his words and... You know, as peers are yelling out things like that, it's only going to mm-hmm. convince the others to like yep. kind of fall in. And with in that it. moment, because as the 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 dominant authoritarian figure in that room, he has the ability to either punish those who speak out and castigate right. them, or to allow it. And like you're saying, yeah, in that moment, everything they're saying is kind of like building his hype train. Exactly. So he's like, yeah, mm, you yeah, know what? Perfect. I should just reach out there and just, hmm, but yep. you're a pretty good hype drow. Yep. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> so Hatchnet continued, we are drow, rulers of all your desire, um, conquerors of land you choose to inhabit. And then someone shouts out, the surface? <laughs> like, how about that? Like, who said that, Jeffrey? 
that's got to be a poorly trained drow when you think about how they've been ready, like ready to come to this school. And not only does he just speak out, because again, Hatchnet can just walk over there. And oh yeah, on. just like so tear the speak kid's out, tongue and out, then you all, know? yeah, and then also like, <laughs> I can go anywhere. What about the surface? Like, Why not the you surface? Little smart Alec. Yeah, but he he lets it go. Uh, he does shoot it down. He's just like, well, who would want to return to that vile place? Let the fairies have it. And uh, but. Man, I was like, oh, like, I feel like that room was probably quiet enough to hear a pin drop, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to get into it with uh, my dim light for yeah. sure. But nice. I see that as a, a little bit of a darker, uh, uh, what is that movie? Like V, V for Vendetta. That's oh, a yeah, noir yeah. type uh, setting for yeah. how he, yeah. Uh, yeah. Love it. <laughs> uh, so Driz just stood there absorbing Hatchnet's propaganda speeches for days, learning how the drow think of surface elves, gray dwarves, gnomes, humans, halflings, and all the other races, which is basically mostly negative. <laughs> uh, after- I think negative of all other non-drow, right? There's not a, is there any race that we've met so far the, that they see even near themselves? Not near themselves, no, but at least they do um, trade with the gray dwarves, right? So it's... Right, you know, they, they're not they, like kill on sight like the gnomes. Right, yeah. So there's at least that, but so they tolerate the gray dwarves. Okay. <laughs> so there's ten days of this that they're just getting bombarded with this, like I said, propaganda. And then um, after ten days, the initiates the initiates were about to start their grand melee, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like you think super smash brothers a bunch of people go in but one person comes out on top um so this this grand melee was um was including all of the initiates in melee magvir i guess the idea is to put them get them into an order so that they know who's the best of the best and who's at the bottom um so each initiate was granted their choice of sparring weapons so of course drizzed chose two wooden curved swords that felt similar to his scimitars. He whips them around a little bit and they feel good. So that's what he takes. And then the initiates made their way toward the arena, which wasn't a plain gladiator ring. It instead sounded like it was more like a natural, like it was filled with natural formations that would allow for a variety of different strategies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like it was like a wide open cavern. You know, but there right. was uh, nooks and crannies like a yep. fjord if you're looking over top of the land formation. Yeah. So the masters, um, including Drizzt's brother, Deenan, so they they were observing from catwalks above uh, to call out anyone that failed in their sparring match. So does that mean that Deenan is a master of Melee Magvir? Or is he like a upper level student? I didn't I didn't now, catch that. If you guys uh, tell us we're wrong, you can go ahead, hit the Discord up, shoot us an email. I don't believe that uh, Deenan is a master yet, but I do believe he's like on the uh, the upper cusp of graduating students. Kind of okay. like he's taking his uh, assistant teacher role. You okay. know, where they, the, He's not the head teacher who runs the class, but he's the one they bring along to groom to become the teacher. They're like, no, Tahani, she's been <laughs> hanging out in the back of our video for those who want to see what one of my, my beautiful kitty cats look like. She <laughs> kind of runs around. She likes to hang out with me. Every time she's on the desk, I'm just like, it brings a smile to my face. Oh, that's my the back of my chair. Or that too. Or, yeah, yeah. Like, but she was just on the, just sniffing the microphone there. 
Oh yeah, armchair. She's like, what is this? What is that? Oh yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, what else did I wanted to say? I wanted to say something else. Uh, that's gone. So, uh, quickly, the initiates made their way, forming teams and strategies to give them an advantage. Jeffrey, this is the Hunger Games. Well before the Hunger Games. Well before the Hunger Games. (laughs) Yep. And it's I mean it's Battle Royale before they ever started making Battle Royale. Before they before Fortnite was ever a thing, you had We had a Grand Melee. Exactly. (laughs) Uh Kelnaz, the the uh, drow that introduced himself to Drizzt on the way up the stairs. He knew that he didn't stand a chance by himself, so he can he managed to convince Driz to form a duo between the two of them. I kind of picture Kelnaz as this. Uh, I mean, and again, they they are not big to begin with, but even compared right. to Driz, I picture him on the much smaller, frailer section of, yeah. of a drought build. You, you, like almost like a sniveling little, like oh no. Especially by the end, by the time you you start to see him fighting, it's like hmm, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I agree with that. I kind of picture like you know, Drizzt is more of the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the two, and uh, Kelnaz is a little bit more of the Danny DeVito, you know, <laughs> size discrepancy. Right. <clears throat> so Drizzt and Kelnaz, their first strategy was basically to let everyone else tire themselves out. That's a pretty solid strategy. Just like, hey, stand Down back, goals. you know, let them fight. And honestly, like when I'm playing against uh, people in. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Super Smash Brothers. If we're playing like you only have five lives, yeah, I'll be avoiding combat as much as possible. Let them fight it out, and then I'll go in and clean up some kills. Yeah, selectively <clears throat> choose your advantage and engage on your terms as much as possible. Yeah. Now that that might seem a little, uh, what's the word? Slimy, a little sneaky. You know, like not not the most honorable. But it's like you know who says that the people that gets killed by those guys. That's who <laughs> determines that it's a slimy move. So, um, th- it's, it's like it's like Mortal Kombat when you would play it early on. And a guy knew all the combinations, but you beat him by mashing <laughs> the two buttons by all swinging the toggle stick around, and it worked that one time. Right. You earned that. You earned that. It's like you have no skill. But who's on the Work leaderboard? This time. <laughs> <laughs> scoreboard says different (laughs) so um that was their first strategy it didn't last long eventually an aggressive student with a long uh a long pole basically attacked drizzt uh the attack halberd of sorts yeah yeah it's basically like a really long weapon with sort of like a spear at the end um he showed up and started attacking drizzt uh the attack drizzt found the attack to be pretty clumsy compared to what he was used to so he was he was kind of stunned. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? And he's like acting like he's faint. To he's fainting be, and things uh, like this. Yeah. And, to still uh, be stunned after fighting Yuck Yuck and finding out that that's how he rolled. Like, you know, because when, when Yuck Yuck fought him, he was like, this is not how a drow would fight. Right. And then he ends up fighting a drow. And it's like, wait a minute. This is how Yuck Yuck would fight. Yeah. <laughs> so he um, thrust his scimitars into right into the student's chest. Um, and as soon as he did, of course, these are wood, so he's not actually piercing or anything like that, but a blue light appears on the head of this drow, and a call from above informed the two that the aggressor was defeated. Again, the um, masters are up there basically refereeing everything. It's like magical laser tag. He yeah. went, bat, bat, got yeah. him, and all of a sudden, like, Very cool. I would totally play. I would totally play. Absolutely. <laughs> I would run out of cardio so fast that I would have a blast. 
So Kelnaz um, recognized from this encounter that he chose his partner well. Um, right. Yeah. Drist and Kelnaz needed to relocate since their position was given away by the announcement of their victory. So they're ma- they made their way around the corner and found mm-hmm. themselves face-to-face with two more initiates. One of them immediately fled, and Kelnaz was in pursuit. Uh, the other one, Drizzt expertly dispatched. <clears throat> a blue light on his face and a call from above, Fall where you stand, signified, uh, that Drizzt, um, it signified Drizzt's victory in the duel. The loser was outraged. He kept on attacking, and Drizzt dis- disarmed him right before a flash of lightning exploded on the chest of the attacker. So he fell to the ground and was just like in agony. And again, a call from above, you are defeated. (laughs) This time he didn't have, uh, he didn't have to say fall where you stand because um, he was already lying down. (laughs) Yep. His feet were above his head. He was knocked prone. Yep. A breathless Kelnaz eventually returned saying that the other one um, fled and got away. The other one that fled got away. And I'm just like, did he kill Nas? <laughs> Did you just let him get away? Though? I think he just let him get away. Kill Nas just like rounded the corner, saw that he was running. was just like, okay, I'm just going to hang out here for a little bit. Wait until they're done and then go back. Right. Like make a lot of noise. Waggle your weapon at him. Like, <laughs> ah, yeah, you keep going. <laughs> That's right. You run. <laughs> so the grand melee continued with a few more encounters. Driz's last encounter included him fighting a drow that also had two sword poles. Uh, The drow came in with a double thrust low, which we all know at this point, along with Drizzt, the best counter to that is... Cross down. The cross down. (laughs) That parry is burned into his memory. (laughs) This time, however... Parry. (laughs) Parry's fine. (laughs) This time, however, he acted on instinct, bringing a foot up between the hilts of his crossed blades and used the heel to bust in the nose of his opponent who fell back stunned. And Drizzt is standing there just like, I knew the parry was wrong. <laughs> Drizzt quickly ended the, the young Banray. We found, we found out earlier, I forgot to mention, that it was a young Banray house. Top house. Yep, top house of Men's Barons. one. And uh, as Drizzt started grinning with this excitement over his victory, then there was this explosion on Drizzt's skull. And as he was falling, he managed to just barely turn around and catch a glimpse of Kelnaz walking away, betrayed by his teammate. So. What a drow Kelnaz is, though. Right? That's both a compliment and a... Oh, judgment, I guess, yeah. at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. I feel it's, like Drizzt is going to have something to say to him in the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, and it is, it's a very drow thing to do, right? We were just talking about it in the uh, insight check where it's the deceit, you know? It's the, yep. the ability to snatch victory from the hands of those who are not strong enough to keep it. And Kelnaz, you just realized there, had this planned all along. So when I said earlier, he looked like a sniveling little oh, yeah. nerd. Oh, he's right? a slimy a skis ball. <laughs> Nerd's the wrong term. It just sounded right. But well, yeah, a little, little right. golem type guy on the end. Yep. He, 
he portrays that on purpose. He wants Driz to think, I think, that it's like, look, I'm so harmless. Hey, right. we're friends. Ooh, you're the big protector. And then the, the moment that everything is won, he's like, stab, stab. Well, ah, well yeah. It's mine. Well, he had to take Driz out before before it was the last two, or right. else he would have no chance. And Not I think, at all. I think he, he even said, like, thought that in the chapter at one point where he's just like, ooh, this guy's really good. I yep. I can't compete with this. Uh, I'm going to have to take him out before it's just the last two. And the best time to do that, well before. Um, yeah, and well before look, it's from the a last strategy two. and a tactician standpoint, it makes beautiful sense. The problem is when you're reading it and going through it, it's like the emotion of the moment. Oh, the betrayal. Yeah. Oh, the betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. Trist was carrying you around, protecting you. Like, I got this, bro. Hang back. And just whack, 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 smacking everybody around like yeah. Bruce Lee in the middle of a of a, of a, of a mass of people, right? Yeah, just kicking a, everybody's yep. butt. <laughs> and then Kel Nas is like, oh, you did so great. Stab! Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the Drizzt. Let's go ahead and kick it into gear here. We'll go right into the dim light reel. The dim light reel is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. So for me, I wanted to go ahead and say for my my dim light royal, I thought I'd cast a little darkness on the master Hatchnet mm. and the role that his rhetoric plays in the drow culture. Yeah, in the first 11 chapters, we've come to see that uh, Zach Nefane fears what the Academy is going to do to Drizzt. Mm-hmm. How it may change his nature, we get a glimpse of uh, how that's actually going to happen right from the beginning, right? It says, I am Master Hatchnet. That's how he introduces himself, automatically dominating the room as he explains he's the master of lore. Uh, their first 50 days will be spent here, and they will bring no weapon to this place. In the few chapters that we've gone through so far, some of the reasons we talked about how some regimes will use like a sort of mind control in order to keep their people in order, how it helps to reinforce the authoritarian control that they already have in place. We saw how like the matriarchy lends itself towards the subjugation of the males. But now we're getting a look at seeing how those male warriors are going to be molded with the lessons and disciplines through training to be forged. You are drow. He snapped suddenly. Do you know what that means? Do you understand where you come from and the history of our people? Menzo Berenson was not always our home, nor was any other cavern of the Underdark. Hmm. Once we walked the surface of the world, <laughs> right? And he spins like theatrically almost into yeah. Driz, right? And he goes, do you know of the surface? <laughs> right? I don't want to hit a political vein or go too far down those roads, right? But purely on a cinematic level, in my head, this scene reminds me of the, the Nazis from World War II with, uh, I think, specifically of Joseph Goebbels and the media department and how it was used as a way to reinforce the views of the regime among the people and it, it kind of helped shape how they saw their position in the world. Mm-hmm. These young drow have left their home for the first time and as they go into the vaunted academy, still soft and malleable for their lessons. That's why I said I love that Play-Doh reference you made. <laughs> it's going to come, the shaping will come at the hand of a master of their craft. Like the much way that Zach Nefane trains Drizzt to be so superior in his skills through weapon combat, Master Hatchnet, man, he's got that silver tongue. He is all right? charisma. Yeah. Right? He rolls with advantage every time. Yep. It's a, an awful place. 
Hatchnet continues, turning his back on the group, right? Each day, as the glow begins its rise in Narbandal, a great ball of fire rises into the open sky above, bringing hours of a light greater than the punishing spells of the priestess Lolf. Oh, have you ever heard of anything so horrible? No, especially because we just saw that lightning bolt destroy Drizzt's vision, put him at such a disadvantage, and it's because of the impact, shock, and awe of that spell. And here he is, like like a thousand of those lights, yeah, all in one moment for hours of the day. And he like, he delivers this line with his arms like outstretched, reaching towards the sky. And you can see he's captured their attention, and he's using the focus yeah. to reinforce the perils of the surface world. Right? He's beginning to lay the foundation of fear and hatred of those who are different. He's got this shamanistic, like cult leader kind of feel to him at this mm-hmm. moment. He goes, even in the night, when the ball of fire has gone below the far rim of the world, one cannot escape the uncounted terrors of the surface. Reminders of what the next day will bring, dots of light. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a lesser ball of silvery fire mar the sky's blessed darkness. <laughs> Like I thought you did a great job of speaking to this. For me, it was really neat how he crafts something that we see as beautiful in the world. Right. To be these terrorizing aspects of a world that they've never been to. <laughs> you know, like we see a sunrise and we're like, oh, we should go paint this. We should write right. poems about this. This yeah. is gorgeous. Yesterday right? morning, and, the sunrise was just like, it was like pink and even purple. It was like, whoa. Yeah. And it's like to a drow, that's horrible. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, he describes the sun as this blazing, hateful image. Yeah. Then, like, even the night, he talks about the stars and the moon as yeah. these distant balls of fire, which, ironically, though, they are. Right. In, in, in real life, they are these distant balls of fire. But he crafts it into this intimidating visage. Like, yeah. Then he goes, once our people walked the surface of the world in ages long past, even longer than the lines of the great houses. In that distant age, we walked beside the pale-skinned elves, the fairies. I, I picture him delivering this line with a lot of emotion, like bringing it all the way up to just short of rage-inducing at the end when he says, fairies. fairies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we know that the drow are taught that the surface elves are inferior, right, beings. Mm-hmm. Then he's, he's reinforcing that here. Like the drow that graduate this academy, they're going to go on to be parts of the storied houses of Menzo Berenson. And as the next generation of drow that are coming up, they're, they're the uncles and the brothers that will all have been indoctrinated just like this for centuries. And they're going to be the ones shaping the next generation, just mm-hmm. ensuring that, that rewash or rinse and repeat cycle. One student cries out that it can't be true. And hatching <laughs> at that point, he feels like, I feel like he kind of slithers in a little closer to that student, yeah. intimidating in size and presence. And he, he just holds this moment and he decides how to use it. Mm-hmm. He goes, it is. We thought the fairies our friends. We called them kin. We could not know in our innocence that they were the embodiments of deceit and evil. We could not know that they would turn on us suddenly and drive us from them, slaughtering our children and the eldest of our race. Without mercy, the evil fairies pursued us across the surface world. Always we asked for peace, and always we Mm. were answered by swords and killing arrows. Here he goes on reinforcing the plight of the drow, 
We see this a lot in reality where countries who have brutal beginnings may seek to craft a better image of themselves and indoctrinate a creation story that highlights their persecution and innocence, right? Mm-hmm. He goes on, he goes, then we found the goddess. All praise to the spider queen. It was she who took our orphaned race to her side and helped us fight off our enemies. It was she who guided the four matrons of our race to the paradise of the underdark. It is she who now gives us the strength and the magic to pay back our enemies. We are the drow, he cried. You are the drow, never again to be downtrodden, rulers of all you desire, conquerors of lands you choose to inhabit. This part slams home the pride and the nationalism that Mm -hmm. is Menzo Berenson, what it is to be drow, the unity that can hold them together. He imbues them with a sense of purpose, a sense of righteousness, and a feeling of justified vengeance against a common enemy. I picture this when you said it earlier. Yeah. Same thing. The surface <laughs> <laughs> came a question from a student, and Hatchnet turned with the flair of a theater performer. The surface. <laughs> I feel like it's in uh, Pinocchio where the guy's trying to sell him on the island, the performer. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ape, that whirly mustache. Like, yeah. The surface. <laughs> Who would want to return to that vile place? Let the fairies have it. Let them burn under the fires of the open sky. We claim the Underdark, where we can feel the core of the world thrumming under our feet, and where the stones of the walls show the heat of world's power. Like, what a job he does of selling it all, right? Those toxic waste pits over there? No, no, no. They provide an ambient glow. The landfills with rotten mess spilling out? Mm -mm, Those are opportunities to slay the vermin it will bring. XP for everybody. (laughs) No matter what negative point you would be able to bring out about the drow culture, he'd be able to show you just how proud they are of it. That's what I'm saying. His charisma's got to be so high, he's rolling with, like, triple advantage. Right. There's like no way you're going to bring up a negative point against him. They weren't, they weren't forced into any of these choices. Any perceived hardships are actually just great opportunities. And any flaws are you know, the due to the common enemies, not the drow, the surface elves that aren't really elves. They're fairies. And this is just like the first of 50 days that are the impressionable drow young mm-hmm. are going to face with Master Hashnet. Oh, boy. I just Good think luck. that that's such a great part of the chapter. Oh, yeah. It's so... I don't know, eerie and impactful because we've been hearing about it the whole way up that like, you know, yeah. why is Zagnafane so concerned with what Drizzt is about to face? What doesn't he like about drow culture? We get these little peaks. Yep. You know, oh, that's a failed raid. This is a successful raid. You know, oh, you found out you had a brother that got assassinated. Ah, you know, your mom, she's kind of mean, right? Like, oh, parents are so <laughs> cruel. And then you go to the academy where they're going to shape him and this guy just day one, just wham, just right yeah. in on the gate. Just goes. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. No, that was that was an Whoa. awesome part of the chapter. Um, the one thing that I was thinking as as we're going through this conversation, this um, monologue almost. Um, obviously, there are a lot of lies being said here. <clears throat> oh, so, from Hatchnet, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, I know that it's like. It is official lore that the drow used to be on the surface. Mm-hmm. And they were eventually driven to the ground. But I feel like his story obviously does not hold up 
when they're talking about being on the surface and it's like, oh, and the, the ball of fire in the sky. It was horrible. It's like, I don't know that it would have been horrible for the drow back then. I mean, no, honestly, they yeah. wouldn't have even been drow back then. Right. As I say, they've genetically become different beings they, at this point. They through, wouldn't, you know, selective enhancement. Right. I guess that's I mean, put it. they wouldn't have developed their, their, um, shoot, I just lost it. Their eyesight, their infravision. They wouldn't have acquired that until after they've been underground for generations. And so it's, I mean, not just that the, 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 the pure color of their skin, I believe would have been different because right. now they're underground in the cave completely. Whereas before they probably would have looked very similar in a way to surface cells. So it's, it's just interesting to hear that perspective, even though it's very obvious that that part doesn't quite fit well, <laughs> but yeah, very cool. Very cool. My dim light for this week uh, has to do with the encounters that Drizzt had in the Grand Melee. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we got to read our way through a few of these encounters uh, during this scene, but <clears throat> there were two that I just loved reading, and I did talk about them in the Drizzt a little bit, but I just want to uh, delve into them a little deeper here. So the first one actually has to do with the second encounter that Drizzt had. Uh, when Drizzt and Kelnaz were trying to reposition themselves, they found themselves face-to-face with two drow. The one bolted, Kelnaz chased after him, and then the encounter itself uh, between Drizzt and um, uh, the other one, it didn't last too long. Drizzt expertly knocked the opponent's weapons wide, right? So he's coming at him with these two weapons, and he just slap, slap, slaps him to the side. He's wide open, just like, oh, what do I do? And just, like, gets double-jabbed right into the chest, before he has a chance to even react to that. Uh, but actually, uh, let me back up just a second here. So after Driz's first encounter, we we got to see what happened when a student got defeated. The blue light, the fall where you stand. And right after that, I was just kind of like, what would happen if someone didn't stop fighting? <laughs> I had the exact same thought the first time I read it, right? It's 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 funny because like rereading books, you you sometimes you don't remember all the small details. Oh, and right. then when you're reading it again, you're like, oh my, I do remember when I read this, I was like, wait, oh, and it kind of <laughs> brings you back into that moment right. as you're going back through it. Yeah. And so that was the same spot with you. Yeah. So after that, it was um just kind of like, well, what's going to happen if they, and luckily for us, we got to actually see one student make that decision. So, um, <laughs> for us, luckily, yeah. So once the student was marked with the blue light and it was announced that he was defeated, he was just too angry to give up. He just kept going. He kept attacking. Um, he continued attacking and Drizzt was quick to um, basically like block his sword and then use his other sword to whack his wrist as hard as he could, uh, which sent his... Um, sent the attacker's sword just flying. And I mean, could you imagine getting hit by a stick of wood, like right on the wrist? Like, ah, oh, man, that's got to hurt. Close. Like I used to play baseball as a kid. You go out there with a cold bat in the middle of a dismal day and you catch it in the wrong spot. It will vibrate oh, your yeah. core. Yep. <clears throat> that's about as close as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> so before the attacker got to complain about his wrist for too long, a bolt of lightning exploded on his chest. Like when they first said that, I thought he was dead. Like I yeah. thought it was oh, like I did too. through the chest. I thought so gone. too. I was just like, Oh crap. <laughs> and then, um, of course, like he's, he's just like agonizing in pain on the ground. Like he, he lived, but it's like, uh, uh 
But Kelnaz hit the nail on the head saying, if a master calls you out, then you are out. <laughs> I just, I asked him. Them's the rules, guy. <laughs> I absolutely loved that. Uh, the second encounter I wanted to talk about uh, that I wanted to dim light was when Drizzt is sparring with Bergenjan of House you know, Banray. Before you drive in there, yeah, that's yeah. almost a bit of foreshadowing that Kalnaz really does understand the rules that are in place before him, hmm. like to the T. Ah, it, yeah. it points out that like, oh, you know, this guy is actually very wise. It, it seems it comes across when you read it at first, right. very much as matter of fact, like everybody should know the rules. <laughs> right. But knowing how this turns out, now that you're diving back in it again, the first thought I have is, is like, oh, that's kind of pointing out. Like, look, he's very crafty and knowledgeable. He yeah. gets the rule, like to the T, knows where you right. can press and where you can't. Oh, I didn't even think about that. No, that's a good point. Uh, so, yeah, this second encounter was... I guess it, it started out with at least four drow that they were... Well, three that they knew of. Uh, Drizzt... Well, what was it? Kelnaz was fighting um, Bergenjan. We, we find out his name later. Drizzt was fighting the other two. He basically dispatched both of those guys and then right. ran to help Kelnaz. And before he got there, he just like stabbed inside of a bush. Just like... Uh, there might be someone in there, stab, and there happened to be someone in there. <laughs> in my great Call of Duty moments when I randomly spin around and hip fire kill somebody, that's how I feel Drizzt was just in the flow state, locked in, like chugga, 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 stab, got him, chugga, 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 chugga. Like, he's just locked in. Yep. And eventually he gets to um, uh, Kelnaz's aid. Turns out he's fighting, like I said, um, Bergenjan. House of uh, a son of House Banray, uh, which was a huge a encounter for Drizzt. There. What's that? A lot of bees there. Banray, Banray, and Bergenjan. Bergenjan. <laughs> so he was face to face with one of the sons of Matron Banray, the first house of Menzo Berenzon. Like that's, whew. Um, the encounter within the chapter didn't have too much description. It didn't say that it was like it didn't go through all the steps it just said they danced for many minutes is how they yeah. described it because they're both That's, they were both so yeah. skilled with uh swords that they're just going back and forth with no real advantage or disadvantage it's one of the beautiful moments in literature where you know less is more like they yeah, do so much good, right. good description and so much beautiful, like just poetry, basically, of fights that when they stop at that moment and he's like, you know, oh, and then they dance for 20 minutes, it kind of lets your mind just kind of envision and fill you know, how that fight goes. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it kind of feel like you're going to do that better than any anything you could really write. Than right words could do. Justice. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So um, eventually, Bergenjan made an error. He came at Drizzt with a double thrust low, an attack that. Uh, that's not really an error, though, because we found out earlier the double thrust low is a very dominant move because it, it can only be parried to a block. Correct. Right? Yes. Correct. It <clears throat> will end up being his downfall, though. But, right. But it starts but out it's not being an a error. solid move. Correct. Yeah. You're right. Uh, so. Um, ah, get on the board. <laughs> double thrust low coming at Drizzt. An attack that I can only believe that Bergenjan thought was relatively safe, right? Like, he, he would have been taught the same way. Uh, unfortunately for him... Drizzt spent much of his training trying to come up with some kind of advantage, an advantageous block 
specifically for this attack. Uh, Zach taught Drizzt that the cross down parry sufficed for this attack. It didn't give an advantage to Drizzt, but at least it took away an advantage from Bergenjan, from the attacker. Drizzt yeah. executed the cross down to perfection as he was trained, but something was different this time. He almost instinctively brought up a heel, crossed above the clashed swords, and drove his foot into the face of his opponent. When I'm trying to like envision this, his his arms are like, he's got his weight on his arms, holding down the enemy's swords. And then mm-hmm. he's kicking up and going over top of his arms, like jump ropes, right? Like, <laughs> like it's not, yeah. it's kind of an awkward motion, I feel like. Well, I almost feel like what happens is he leans forward with the double parry down, right? Uh-huh. And then as he has blocked that and driven the sword points down, on one of his remaining feet, he's going to essentially wall sit, right? Lower his backside down. And he's going to re- like reverse his okay. weight. Okay, all right. And then he's going to naturally be at an angle where bringing up his remaining foot, almost like a ballet dancer, right? And Zach Van calls him a dancer. Almost in a dance move, will then kick that remaining foot out in front of him. He'd be at a natural 45-degree angle, right. swinging that foot straight towards the face of the man who had now has his sword points driven downward. Yeah. Like he's also now leaning forward, trying to have made that step. Yeah. But the <laughs> the the core that it requires right more fitness <laughs> in you that you would need to pull that off is phenomenal yeah i can i can't even dream about doing that <laughs> no. so um after all that after he lands his kick driz drops a one-liner that just made me chuckle just i knew the parry was wrong i just love that moment that moment of aha <laughs> right just, All this craziness going on, and it's just like a light bulb moment for him. Where yeah. it's like, he's not even like trying to, uh, you know, dirty the name of the guy across from him at all. Right. He's literally childlike wonderment once again. Just like I knew I was right. I knew it. Right. <laughs> and he and he's like, it's showing that he's he's constantly he's still training. This is a training exercise for him. He's he's looking to better himself here. So I just yeah. I just love that moment. And. um yeah, so within this whole chapter, the way that Ari Salvatore describes the combat and everything, just love it. As always, I, I just really appreciated these combat descriptions. Uh, Salvatore yeah. really seems as skilled with his pen as Drizzt is with his scimitars. Like, just. Oh, that's some good cheese. <laughs> I like it. I agree, though. I mean, honestly, from the outset, one of the things that drew me into these these stories and everything else was R.A. Salvatore's ability to verbally paint on a canvas. Mm-hmm. You know, his ability to not just have hack and slash battles, but to turn that into a display of martial arts, like yeah. an actual high level display. And, you know, to see the difference between somebody who's, you know, a Bruce Lee level approach in Drizzt, a master of his craft, is you know, He's going to be a master of his crap, but he's already so far ahead potential wise of everybody else. And it's like just to see that displayed in the terms of, you know, combat, how it comes out, how the actions are taken. He does it so well in the large scale grand melee. He also does it really well when you get into, you know, future parts of the, the larger combats and the one on ones displays get to be, again, like dances. Yeah. Like ballet. Right. (laughs) So. Now that you've wrapped that part up with us, why don't we go ahead? We're going to grab my uh, little lantern in my pack, and we're going we're gonna to do a, dun- a dungeon delve, buddy.
making my uh, free view on video watching. I'm walking down the stairs into the dungeon. <laughs> so the dungeon delve is that part of the show where we're going to link this chapter with our favorite parts of the tabletop game, 5e. For me, I decided I was going to go with uh, picking a class. I thought it'd be interesting to look at the variations that you can find while picking a class for your character, specifically in relation to this chapter, visual point. <laughs> I'm going to specifically look at the fighter class. Hmm, that makes this a lot gonna... of sense. <laughs> I thought so. I was hoping, like I said, I'm kind of like a, you know, like a large cat on a limb, hoping it doesn't break under me. Uh, it's not going to translate perfectly to the book, but when Drow go to the Academy, it's, it's the beginning of their prestige fighter training. Before they receive training, they are raw and they are unshaped. So if you think about it, the academy is going to determine kind of what class of fighter they're going to have or they're going to become mm -hmm. on the other side. Okay. So fighters are masters of martial combat, possessing little beyond finely honed skill with arms and armor. So it's slightly ahead of the pace where we find ourselves in the book as we find out that some of the people just fighting are not masters of their arms. They're, they're, they'll be okay. They're level zero. But, uh, zero and a half. <laughs> they're, they are literally level zero because this is the creation point of right, your character. Right. Right. So when you're, I actually have that in here. When you're creating a character, it, it's going to be important to consider their backstory, what they went through in order to become who they are when you introduce them to the group. So yep. day one, when you yep. walk in and say, Hi, my name is Sam. I'm a giant gnome barbarian. <laughs> Get the conundrums there. Giant gnome barbarian. <laughs> Anywho. You want to know how they went through their class, why they became a fighter, why they became a different type of fighter, what their experience was going through the school that made them become, say, a battle master instead mm -hmm. of a champion. We're going to get to that in a minute. But those different parts of the subclass that you pick, they actually can do an important part of shaping the character that you build and how their persona takes on the, the, the numbers that you roll. Mm -hmm. So fighters can succeed in armor of any kind and they work with weapons of any kind that's nice that's mm -hmm. nice especially early on i mean later yeah. on down the road it's probably not so much but early on you can struggle and you always want to have to not re-roll your character <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal but there whatever you would choose to go with is basically the option that works best depends on your ability scores right so mm -hmm. you just could take into Take it for granted that everybody knows where their ability scores are going to roll based on your character. You want a higher strength, higher dex, higher charisma. It really depends on what you're building. Yeah. For the fighter, either strength or dexterity is going to be crucial. So elves, mountain dwarves, halflings, dragonborn, forest gnomes, and half orcs all make great fighters because they have either high strength or high dex normally. It's where you're going to put one of your dominant yep. stats. And it probably now, depends on what type of fighting style you're planning on using. Like if you're mm -hmm. if you're planning on like melee, you would want to choose strength. If you're looking at long range, like an archer or something like that, then dex. Yeah. Now this doesn't mean that you can't use a different race, because ultimately, and I always want to stress this to people when I talk to you about D and D, this is all up to you and how you want to create your character. Right. Like one of my absolute favorite things to do is make characters that go against the archetype. You Absolutely. as my DM understand that that's what i like to do <laughs> but that's just fun for me when it, you know you like we currently have a bard that doesn't sing i was a turtle that grappled as a monk right i, just, I, I like having these little oddities yeah in a character these oddballs you know, things they have to overcome <laughs> yeah and you know doo -doo -doo, a lot of people they want to build their character to maximize their dice rolls but there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. i think that some of my favorite characters though they defy the norm a little bit 
You know, if you're right. just getting out, it's completely fine to be safe. Take, you know, the the war, uh, the fighter, take the champion stat, become a barbarian and use everything in strength, hit people, do damage, make it a little easier for you. But as you go through, I think it, that one of the things that's really fun is, again, crafting those differences that you've got to overcome with your roles. Yep. You know, like, yep. oh, you're a scared barbarian. How's that going to work? I'd like to find out. Like, <laughs> I rage and run away. <laughs> Right. I rage and use it to dash three times instead of two. Like, it's, it's just fun to see how that might play out. Because, again, it's part of being a, an adventure in a group, right? Yeah. You know, your yeah. your oddity might actually work really well with the other person's strength. It, yeah. Or it just might be fun to get together and watch your guy jump off a cliff because he was scared of the sheep that chased him. You know? <laughs> Whatever. Once you decide you want to be a fighter, think about it as entering the academy. What type of fighter mm. will you become? Yeah. Are you a battle master? They use a superior uh, pool of superior dice, which allow them to perform special combat maneuvers and mm -hmm. add extra effects to your attacks, allowing them to do things like tripping and disarming your targets. Perhaps this would allow you to focus on some more tactics that can help your group play in a combat. Yeah. Or are you a champion? It's considered a simpler subclass to play against across every class because the mechanics are essentially they're easy to learn, but they're still very effective. Yeah. You get several notable abilities, like a second combat style and the ability to score critical hits on a 19 or a 20. I just read that. high level. That's really yeah, cool. Right? That's really cool. But it goes a little further if you want to just max all that out. Once you get to a higher level, you score hits on an 18. Oh, I see that. Yeah. Yep. And then the classic role, uh, this is a classic role that can win the entire combat on their own shoulders. Like everyone loves hitting a crit role. And this should make yep. it a bit easier. They did make a note that if you were a half orc fighter, I believe, then you could actually roll a 17 as well. Because one of their like racial features give you a, uh, you know, as a bonus or benefit Another at some addition. point with the fighter. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's amazing that four out of 20 spots, essentially, you now have a, what is that, a 20% chance? One in five, yeah, of being able to crit hit and do a ton of damage. That's crazy. I'm looking up orcs, half orcs. <laughs> <laughs> You can also be an Eldritch Knight. Now, these, they supplement their martial prowess with the ability to cast abjuration and evocation spells. It allows them to defend themselves and their allies, blasting their enemies with spells like Fireball. Everybody loves the classic, right? Mm -hmm. They use their intelligence for their spell casting. So high elves and forest gnomes make great Eldritch Knights. But remember, never be afraid to shatter that mold and build how you want. If no one ever thought to look outside the mold for their character builds, we have never gotten drizzed. And the world that we yeah. fell in love with and the D&D &D is no different. There are no limitations to the world that you want to build or the characters that you want to build within it. As long as you can sell your DM on it. I mean, a lot of times I like to think that these blueprints, they're more like vague suggestions. Oh, absolutely. Right? I, find, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for me, homebrew ideas really entertain me because it's almost like dlc on your favorite digital game yeah right? <laughs> it's like oh today i have a era corker character and uh actually i'd like to make him you know have four wings instead of two and this is why because what happened as long <laughs> as you can spin that yarn and add it properly and build yeah. the stats right why yeah. not you know you're, you're you're essentially you're finding ways to expand upon the playground that you were given mm -hmm. i think it's cool uh, what was your dungeon, Dale, Justin? Oh, well, actually, before we jump into mine, I, I did find oh, right. with, with the half-orcs, they mm -hmm. have something... It doesn't look like they get to change it to a 17 or whatever it was, but rather they have something called Savage Attack, 
where if you score a critical hit with your melee attack weapon, then you get to roll an extra damage dice. Ooh. So, oh, okay. So if you I roll a note wrong, if you that's roll, definitely what they must have meant. If you roll a d two d sixes on your attack on your melee attack, then you can roll three if you got a critical. Right. But then it's like well, no, if you, you also it, double you would it. Roll six. Well, it would it would be four. Instead like four. if you roll two, you would roll four, but then you get an extra one. So you'd roll. Oh, so it wouldn't be two plus one doubled. No, no, no. Okay, it's but still, that is a massive you, advantage when it comes to doing damage. Yeah, yeah. Especially as you level up and get nastier weapons. Yeah. I never played as an orc before a ha- or, or a half-orc. Well, I didn't play as many things. <laughs> My favorite are always the people who play their characters with the social stigmas that would come with it. So uh, I, I played a one-off campaign with a few friends of mine, and it was great because we had an orc and a dwarf ooh, in the party. Yep. That wouldn't go we well. Were, <laughs> no, and we were all supposed to be an adventuring party that's doing a one-off in a dungeon. It's a survival set, right? right. So as soon as they start, my character's like, I'm going to go through door two. And the guy over there is like, I'm going to go through door five. And then <laughs> it comes to the, to the orc, and he goes, I'm going to charge the dwarf. And everybody looks at him and goes, "What the heck, bro, dude?" We're playing like, "Yeah, we're playing. Let's make a deal. Like, pick a door and go choose it out." And he goes, "No, my orc would see the dwarf and absolutely hate him." And yeah. the dwarf goes, "Yep, I'm gonna fight the orc." It's like, "Hold on, there's six of us, and Here we two go. of us are now fighting before we ever start." Yeah, so we let them hash it out. You He's know, like, like, "Hey, you guys do what you do," but I, it was entertaining because it's like, right, you know, you're playing an orc, and yeah. technically, orcs don't like the dwarves, and vice versa. They're not gonna have a lot of fun right. with you. So the you- same way, drows won't. Be palling around with gnomes anytime yeah. soon well they they'd have to fight each other yeah that was so entertaining <laughs> all right what a great dungeon delve this week jeffrey that was i i couldn't have thought of doing the fighter class but that that was perfect so this week i just wanted we're actually getting a little up there on time so i'll make this quick um, <laughs> this week i wanted to look at uh look into the lightning spell that was used to knock down driz's opponent that kept fighting after he was defeated Um, There are actually a number of different spells in the player's handbook, each of them having different visual effects that are going on, different amounts of damage, etc. The one was called Call Lightning. It actually summons a thunderstorm that is able to strike uh, strike lightning at your foes. So that one doesn't really seem to fit. That one doesn't seem to fit because it's like, well, they didn't summon a whole um, thunderstorm, but that's really cool. Um, There was... Also, Chain Lightning, uh, which is a cool spell where basically like you hit one foe and then the lightning jumps from that foe to another foe. And yep. um, I think there's a limit Arcs. to it, but yeah, and, uh, which we didn't see that happen either. So that one isn't quite the best fit. But I, then I found Lightning Bolt. Honestly, I probably should have went straight for Lightning Bolt, but me and my concrete thought process i started at the beginning of the spell book and i went to the back so i went in alphabetical (laughs) order (laughs) (laughs) i'm not always like that but this time i was but uh lightning bolt seemed to fit really well here uh so lightning bolt is a third level evocation spell uh so evocation what does that mean I, i had to look that one up i found that evocation magic is known for their potent damage dealing effects Uh, So it doesn't matter if the spell comes from a deity or elemental energy or wherever, uh, but they, they are spells that are only castable by those that are really like masters of the weave. Now, of course, again, this is a third level spell, so you're not like a master master, but you you know, it's, it's higher up there. Um, You know, you're, you're, 
you're not casting level three spells at level, even level three, I don't think you are, as like a wizard. Um, so the spell casting time is one action, and it has a range of 100 feet. It requires a verbal, somatic um, components, as well as material components. The material components I thought were clever. It's a bit of fur, and either a rod of amber, crystal, or glass. Which I'm just like, I used to be a science teacher, like for nine years, and I'm just like, that's exactly how you play around with electricity. You take the fur, you rub it on the rod, and then you like can wave it around like a... a, a static electricity. Yeah, yeah, you have static electricity on the rod, and then you can use it to like roll a an empty soda can around on the table. It's really cool stuff. Um, so I'm just like, that's per- of course that's the, those are the materials to cast this spell. Like, that's perfect. Uh, so anyway, when you cast a bolt, when you cast lightning bolt, um, a bolt of lightning spans 100 feet from you um, in one direction. And it hits every creature in that line. Uh, oh. Well, they, they have a chance to uh, roll a deck saving throw. Uh, so if they manage to save against that, then they only take half damage. But then on a fail, they take full damage, which is 8d6 lightning Holy damage. Cow. Holy cow. It's <laughs> quick math for those folks at home, right? That, that jeepers. 8d6. It's going to be... It's like an average. 48? It's an average in the mid-20s. Yeah, so you have 48 yeah. max damage, though, that you can just blow a hole through most people standing in front of you. Yeah. At level three, your character may not have 48 hit points, depending <laughs> on what you are. Right. Like, even a save can just really do damage. Yeah, yeah. So that really is quite the damage dealer. So no wonder that drow student did, didn't stand back up. Oh, I did forget one other thing. Um, apparently, you can cast it at higher levels... And, like, at level 4, you would get an extra D6 to roll with that damage. At level 5, it would be two D6s. It's an extra D6 for each level above the third level. So, anyway. um, Yeah, that was a lot of damage that that Drow took. And, you know, it was apparent after looking up that spell, these these masters are not messing around. They were, you know, if if you're out, you're out. You better lay down. So, anyway. That's Just my dungeon. Knows, you're out. <laughs> if you're out, you're out. <laughs> so that's my dungeon delve this week. We went over time this week, but that's okay. Blame uh, it on the insight check. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> insight check, and you know, um, it's a lot of fun doing these. So we we uh, keep chatting it up. <laughs> so, but that's that's gonna do it for this episode. So thank you for listening. Remember that if you like the show, give us a five star rating. Also, make sure you're getting the most out of this podcast. Make sure you're reading along with us. Reading isn't always too efficient. I get it. I understand. Right? We all read at different speeds. And who wants to spend hours going through these wonderfully crafted pages one after another? And this beautiful world that we live in gives us options. It does. Just pick up the audiobook and listen to it at your own convenience. Maybe you have a long commute to work. Right? Maybe you work at a job that allows you to listen to music. Or maybe you are that rare breed that trains body and mind so you can listen to it while you're at the gym. So press play and get swole. When, you, when you've rented, uh, finished chapter 12, just go ahead and shoot us an email at trizdunright at gmail.com. You always follow along with any of our social media sites. We have Facebook, we have Instagram, mm-hmm. both of them, Trizdunright. 
find it, follow along. We'll always give you updates on things that we've got coming along. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Join the Discord. Grab that link inside the podcast description. Smash it in. Be part of our Dim Light Squad. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. And remember that um, at the end of the description, there's a way for you to uh, donate to the podcast as well. If you like what we're doing, send us a little digital love. That would be awesome. We're looking to hopefully eventually um, make this a little more professional. And um, yeah, did I jump on your toes there? Did you want to do that? Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, buddy. <laughs> so it's been a blast, but now it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> you know, guys, guys, things have been going so well. We've been having such a blast. We set up the link that Justin just talked about in the end of the episode. Sorry. If you guys want to help support the show, send a cup of coffee, send a beer, send us lunch. Your donations are never required, but they are darn sure admired. We appreciate all you guys. You know, one of the things we wanted to do is make it a little bit more interactive. Justin, you think we should just go ahead and get a little, little peek for those who stayed oh, here. Oh, sure, sure. So towards the end of the season, one of the things I want to build up to is that we want to have a D&D campaign, a one-shot with you guys, our listeners, people who are members of the Dim Light Squad. Come on in, shoot us an email. We're going to work towards, for the rest of this chapter, building a campaign. I'm not going to tell you yet what it's centered around, but it's going to have to do with something in this chapter. Hopefully, maybe going to get, I don't know, maybe, what do you think, 12 people? It'll vary. I'd yeah. like to get a, a bunch of people, but uh, to come on in and be part of a one-off, have a character build, we'll get you guys in, play a little D&D campaign, run a DM. I might have another DM come in and hopefully keep things moving at a brisk pace. But right now it's in the rudimentary planning stages because we still got about four months so we get to the end, of the, uh, the end of the book. So guys, follow along, smash the likes, give us some ratings, show us a little bit of love. Awesome. Remember, play fair, be well. Farewell, guys.